Honored to say, uh, those who are first will be last and last first. And some of you are your first time here, and we are. This is the last sermon on the book of Ephesians. We are closing off um, as we um, preach through the books of the Bible as well. And then, uh, Lord willing, next Sunday we'll start a new series, either the book of Esther or a mini series in something else. So, if you'd like to get a head start into uh, what we are going to study in the future, you're welcome to start reading the book of Esther and uh, the story of Esther and the sea. And then come prepared with your heart as well. But today we're going to close off Ephesians as we look at the final um, couple of verses from verse 21. So this is Ephesians 6 from verse 21. And as we read it, remember that this is the reading of the, the, the living God. So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers, and love with faith, from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ, with love incorruptible. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you, and as we have sung, we want to pray, Father, that you would truly speak to us. Lord, make us into people that is described like Tichikas, Father, um, beloved brothers and sisters, faithful ministers to one another and to your church. Make, let your grace turn us to a people full of peace, love, faith, for your glory alone. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So these last words are Paul's farewell to the church in Ephesus. And we see a lot of Paul's heart for the church, his love for the church in these last verses. And really also... In these final verses, we also have a mini summary of the entire book. So in these final blessings that, that Paul gives to the church, we have a, a in capsule form the teaching of the entire book of Ephesians from chapter 1 up until now. So our text naturally falls into two sections. From verses 21 to 22, we have the letter bearer, Tychicus. And then verses 23 to 24, we have the benediction. So that will be our outline as well for this afternoon. So first, we'll consider the letter bearer from verses 21 to 22. So, And here again, we'll just consider two sub-points under that. His character, Tychicus' character, and his task. So first, let's consider the letter-bearer's character in verse 21. So when you read verse 21, we see, um, so that you may also know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. So we don't know much about this man, Tychicus. We see him first in, uh, the, in Acts chapter 20, accompanying Paul on the, on the, at the end of his third missionary journey. But what stands out about this man is that from that point on, from Acts 20, until the end of Paul's life, we see Tychicus like a silver thread being with Paul and being dependable for ministry. For example, the, the last letter Paul wrote was 2 Timothy chapter 4, and this is, these are the words we read there in, in 2 Timothy 4 verse 10. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark, bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. Tychicus was with Paul even at the end of his life. He was reliable. Now, it's amazing. We don't know what job he did. We don't know many of his personal life and the things he liked and disliked, how successful he was according to human standards. 
But we read this simple description of his character and of his life, of a beloved brother and a faithful minister. He was called a beloved brother. Now, I think their beloved doesn't mean beloved from God, um, although that is also true that God does love us. But I do think here the emphasis is on loved by the church. When we say there's a beloved brother, the idea is he's so faithful in serving the church, he's so active in the church that people love him. He is a beloved of the church. But he's also a faithful minister. Now you can probably guess what Greek word is the word minister, but the Greek word there is diakonos, where we get our English word deacon from, which simply means a servant, uh, assistant, or even a slave. So those are some of the nuances of the word deacon. Now, think about how different this description is of what is true greatness in comparison to the world. Here we have, um, for 2,000 years after this man has lived, we still read about him and his character. What the Holy Spirit decided to pen down was these two things. He's a beloved brother and a faithful minister. I don't know about you, but if I think about what, how, what, what would I want people to remember me by, or how does the world think of what, is a, what makes a man, what makes a woman great? Right? We might think of things like what did you achieve or how much money did you make or what was your academic achievements or how much fame or glory did you have in your life. Right? That's kind of where our hearts naturally want to go to. But here we see those are not the things that impresses God. It is those who love God and love the, love the things that God loves that are truly great in his eyes. So I'm going to say that again. It is those who love God and love the things that God loves that are truly great. Now let me ask you this. What does Jesus love more than his church? His bride. For whom did Jesus die? Why did Jesus come to earth in the first place? It was for his church, for his bride, for his wife. It was to purchase a bride for himself from people of every tongue and tribe and nation that will gather around the throne and sing to the land that was slain. That we as the bride of Christ might stand before our bridegroom without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. We see the value of the church in another passage in Acts 20 verse 28. It says, pay careful attention to yourselves. He's speaking to the pastors or the elders. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. The church wasn't created cheaply. To be the church, both now and forever, the blood of the beloved son flowed from the cross. So dear church, dear visitor, if you are visiting here with us, do you hear what God is saying to you this afternoon? It is good to have strong ambitions. It is good to be even gifted in making a lot of money. It is good to aspire to have career excellence in everything you do. And I believe God wires us specifically into those directions that we would pursue those careers. But let me ask you this, why? Why are you going that career? Why, what is your ultimate goal for why you want to make a lot of money or why you go into that certain direction? For whom? 
It's about the orientation of your heart. Does your heart burn for the glory of God, for his kingdom, for his people? Does your heart yearn for your short little life to count for eternity and not just for your short little life on earth? Listen, what is more exciting, right? Building little sandcastles that wows the world for a short while for the world that's passing away or being part of a global building project for an eternal king whose kingdom never fades. Which is better? Which is, which is a better goal to pursue? Now, I know many of you are students here. Um, some of you first year, some of you are first year, first time year, right? And you have probably big ambitions and you want to study and you want to get a job, get a career, and your heart is just expanding with ambitions. And that, that's good. That's, that's, don't, I don't want to um, kill that in any way. But here's what this, this text would mean for you as a student. Expand your vision beyond your little life. Let your vision, your dreams, your ambitions include the kingdom of God. So here's a few examples of how that might look like if you're a student. Okay, you might say, Lord, I want to pursue this career. I want to make as much money as I possibly can that I can fund poor missionaries, support faithful churches and faithful pastors, and practice hospitality to the needy. See, so that's like, that's the bigger vision of just wanting some money, right? You want to use that money for God's glory, God's kingdom. Lord, I want to have a career which maybe gives me more free time that I can be more of service to your church practically. Maybe you don't want a career that makes the most money, but that gives you the most time so that you can serve the most. Or Lord, I want to be the missionary, right? I'm going to study and maybe use that on the mission field. I'm willing to live a simple life being bitten by, by bugs, right? <laughs> Living simply and poorly, learning their language and going to the people where nobody wants to go to, to tell them about the only one that can save them from their sins, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, those are just a few examples of perhaps many more of what it might mean for you to be a student and to pursue a career. But I also want to say something to the old, <laughs> because last time I checked, we're not just young people here, okay, that... Might include me or not, I'm not sure. <laughs> but for the old, this might mean something like this for you. Lord, when I retire, or when, I, when I'm physically too old to work anymore, I want the last few years of my life to be a blessing to your church. I want to not waste my retirement. I want to be rich in good works. I want to be rich in prayer, faithful in using my gifts for your church. With more time, you can easily spend more time in prayer for missionaries, for pastors, churches, church members, etc. Use it. Use the time you have. Even as an old person, don't forget Proverbs 12 verse 11. It's true for you as well. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. How easy would it be to just give the final years of your life to worthless pursuits, wasting your time on TV or cat videos, right? Rather ask yourself, right, how can I use my precious hours, my precious years for Christ? How can I give myself in love for his body, for his bride, to build her up, to prepare her as well for heaven? So when you think of retirement, think of the church, 
Don't just think of your dream place where you'd like to retire. Think of, is there a church there where I can be a part of, where I can give myself and serve? If not, reconsider. Or go and plant the church there, right? Under, right? That might be another option. But, but don't, here's the point I want to make, is don't let the church or Christ's bride or Christ's body be an afterthought of your ambitions. Don't let the church be on the periphery of your zeal and your passions. And that's really my prayer for every single one of you. Member, non-member, visitor here is that you, if you claim to be a Christian, if you have repented of your sins, put your faith in Christ, have been baptized, that you would not waste your life, but give it to Christ and the church. That this also will be true with you, that on your gravestone, under your name would stand a beloved brother, a beloved sister, a faithful deacon, a minister of Christ's church. So that was his character. That's what this man is. But now let's consider his task, and we'll go briefly through them. His tasks was threefold. He had three tasks. The first task was to carry the letters. Tychicus, first task was to carry the letters. Notice the plural. Letters, more than one. Because Paul, remember, he was writing this letter from prison, and he was probably sending Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon by Tychicus at the same time. Now, we know that because if you look at the ending of Colossians, you see it very similar. Look at the ending of Colossians 4, verse 7 to 8. It says, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother, faithful minister, fellow servant in the Lord. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. You see how that's basically word for word what we've just read. But then, with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Okay, so he's carrying the letters which leads to number two. The second task was to tell them about Paul and the church. We see that in verse 21 very clearly. It says that you may also know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus will tell you everything. Paul wanted Tychicus to tell them about Paul, his life, his ministry, his activities, so that they can do verse 19 better. Remember what does verse 19 say? It says, pray also for me. Paul says, pray for me. So he wants them to be informed about his life, informed about his ministry, that they can have an updated prayer list. And that's so true. The more you know about someone, the better you pray. Isn't that true? It's a sign of love that you convert information about people into prayer. That's what you should do with new information from people. That might be one good reason to come to church every Sunday, to say, I want to update my prayer list from other people. I want to hear, I want to be curious how it's going with people, that I can pray for them better. But Tychicus didn't just inform them about Paul, but also about the churches. Notice the plural, the shift from the singular to the plural in verses 21 to 22. So look at verse 22. It says, I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are. So 21, that you may know how I am. Verse 22, that you may know how we are. Paul includes the not, like Tychicus to let them know about the churches. Now you might say, Why? Why not just about Paul? Why about the churches? Well, the Christian family is big. Can I get an amen on that? <laughs> okay. Our family is bigger than Porch. It's bigger than Clagstorp, Johannesburg, Pretoria, Bloemfontein. Our church is global. We have family members in Europe, America, Asia, Australia. 
our siblings are scattered across the world by our heavenly father and we are one in christ in other words it's a sign of a healthy church that is not just concerned about their own little church in their own little town their own little environment but concerned about other churches other faithful churches to flourish to grow and that's one of the reasons we we strive to pray for other churches every single Sunday here to to illustrate that we need to love our brothers and sisters across South Africa as well and the last purpose was simply to encourage their hearts to encourage their hearts look at verses 22 again I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts they needed encouragement because of chapter 3 verse 13 to just turn two pages back And you'll see in 3 verse 13, Ephesians, So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. This church needed encouragement because Paul is in prison. Paul is suffering for the gospel. right? Uh, And if you love someone and someone's in in, in prison, you, you are discouraged, you are disheartened, and you are even tempted with thoughts like, is this Christianity thing the real thing when we are just being slaughtered and being killed and being led like lamb to the slaughter? like sheep to the slaughter. Well, look at what Paul says here. He says, my suffering is for your glory. So in other words, Paul's suffering is not, not, God is not just using or converting Paul's suffering for his plan. Paul's suffering is God's plan. It is part of his sovereignty to build his church. So it's not a, a, a setback for the gospel. It's part of letting the gospel go forward you know in philippians chapter one when paul says my imprisonment has caused the gospel to spread more right and that's how the church grows through our persecution through people hating us and killing us the church just seems to be flourishing and growing more so that's i think the first way tichikas wants to encourage them is to say listen it's okay paul this is for your glory but there's another way i think paul tichikas is meant to encourage this church And that's simply by explaining to them the content of the letter. So imagine this church receives the letter, they're reading it, and they say, Tychicus, what does it mean when it says God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world? What's that all about? Or Tychicus, it says here we ought to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Does does that mean I need to make that phone call? Not that I had phones at that time, but... Right, and have that coffee. I don't know if there was coffee, probably not. I'm not sure. But okay. But do I have to now make that phone call and meet up with that brother that we are not really seeing eye to eye? Is that what it means? Or Tychicus, I see Onesimus with you. Is he that runaway slave that belonged to Philemon? Who's what is he doing here? Tychicus would have said, that's why Philemon is here. So if you want to read Philemon, here it is, but that's for another day, okay? <laughs> now we're focusing on Ephesians. Right, And this is all meant to show us the, the purpose of chapter 4, verse 11. Just glance there again, chapter 4, verse 11. And Jesus gave us apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So not, in other words, not only does the church need you to serve the church, right, you need the church you need faithful shepherds and pastors and elders and church members that's going to build you up in the faith so right we need you you need us that's the point okay that's christ that's god's plan for the church 
or to say it very bluntly, to just have your Bible alone, alone at home, is not what it means to be faithful to Christ. You need the Bible, and then you need to practice the Bible in church, in the world, at home, with your family, with your neighbors, with your colleagues. And we need the church also to help us understand the Bible, right? Now, the Bible is clear when you read it, but Christ has given us shepherds and teachers to help us understand this book better, that we might live it out more faithfully. And that's why we need one another. Now, I want to say here on a personal note, I, I thank God for many of you. I know, I see the trajectory of your life. I see you becoming that faithful brother, faithful sister in Christ. I see in many of you a very genuine love for the body of Christ. And praise God for that, because that's a work of the Holy Spirit. That's not natural. To love people that are not like you, older, younger than you, different languages than you, and to come together and worship the risen Christ. And what is that but the work of God? God's grace. So my encouragement to you is don't grow weary of doing good. Keep on riding the race set before you. Don't allow the devil to come in between our unity, our love for one another. Don't let the sun set over your anger. Refuse to gossip about another member, about other Christians. Refuse that. Refuse to harbor bitterness in your heart against one another. Refuse the whisper of the devil, that ancient serpent, to try to destroy our love and unity with one another. And then maybe for those who are content to not be part of a church, but to be an, an outsider, to be on the periphery, to be an a, a observer and not an active member, I want to challenge you according to this passage. Have a bigger vision for your life than yourself. It's not about you. And you are really free when you, when you accept that. That you, are, you, are, you have been made for Christ. You have been made to belong to his body, to serve his body. Think of eternity. Think of that day when your knee will bow and your tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. What will matter then? Then repent. Turn away from your sins. And come to the Lord Jesus. And serve him. Submit yourself to his gentle lordship. And then strive to also become this faithful brother and sister in Christ as well. Right, the second point is, so that's the letter bearer. And there's a lot of food, food for what we need to take away. But then secondly, let's close our time with the benediction. The benediction in verses 23 to 24. It says, peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with you, with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. So a benediction is a blessing that we look at one another's eyes and we speak directly to one another, but it's also one half of it, it's a prayer. So it's, it's a very interesting form of speech. You're talking to people and you're talking to God. It's like 50% to people, 50% to God. You look people in the eye and you pray God, you ask that God might do something for you. I think that's a neglected form of speaking in the church and something we need to recapture especially in our homes, in our families. I believe parents, fathers and mothers need to cup their children's faces regularly every night and bless them. 
and say, I pray for you. I bless you. I, may God be your God. May he be your savior. May you follow Jesus and may your heart be full of peace and love for him and his body. Right? Every night we need to bless our children like that. Now here Paul blesses God's sons and daughters. Paul is looking into the eyes of God's children and he's blessing them. And we see that he blesses them with four things, four blessings. And that's the summary really of the entire book. Okay, Number one, peace. He says in verse 23, peace be to the brothers. Now, if you know the book of Ephesians, this means peace with God. Number one, to be reconciled to God. God's anger has been satisfied on the cross through the death of his son. And now there's peace with you and God. But there's also in Ephesians, specifically peace between Jew and Gentile. Peace between former enemies. We are now one body. And that peace can never be taken away from us. So Paul is saying, I pray that God will bless you with peace. May this church be a church full of peace. May we forgive quickly. May we be slow to anger with one another. The second thing he blesses them with is love. In verses uh, 23, it says, peace be to the brothers and love. Nothing, I would argue, is more important than love. Love covers a multitude of sins. We speak the truth to one another in love. Husbands are to be the supreme example of love because husbands are commanded to love their wives as Christ loved the church. And we are all commanded to walk in love as Christ walked in love as well. So, dear church, I pray that for you, that God's blessing of love will be on you, that you may lo- your love may be strong for one another, that your love will grow for one another. May your, you be patient. May you be kind to one another. Keep no record of wrong. May you stop being irritated with one another. That one is very personal for me, but okay. May you just repent of that and love one another. May you bear all things, endure all things, believe all things, and hope all things. May we love one another. And number three, faith. He prays for faith. Verse 23, peace be to the brothers and love with faith. So don't miss the connection between peace and love and faith. So he says, I pray that you might have um, peace and love with faith. And I think the idea there is that the only way you're going to have true peace, true love, is if, you, is if you have faith. You see, so think of a, if I can give you a picture, think of a tree with fruits. The fruits are peace and love, and the trunk is faith. So faith feeds, right, the, the fruit of faith and love. And that's what I mean. You need faith to love. He takes faith, trusting God to pursue peace when you don't feel like it, right, when you don't want to do that. It takes faith to love those who has hurt you bitterly and to say, I'm going to endure that. I'm going to overlook that. It says, Lord, I will trust in you with all my heart and not lean on my own understanding in this matter. It looks to God and it believes that his commandments are for our good. When he commands us anything in his word, it's for our good and we believe that about him. It takes faith to love people old and young, black and white, Afrikaans and English, VPS supporters and blue bulls. I don't know, that might be a bigger rival than Jew and Gentile, maybe, I don't know. Okay, but we need love. But faith says, I will love you despite your preferences in rugby teams or your preferences in what you do or not do, right? And I want to say, I think 
that's really behind. When someone says, I'm done with the church, I'm, I don't want to be part of the church, it really betrays a lack of faith in God, a lack of faith in his promises and his word. Maybe even an ignorance of that. Maybe people that don't want to be part of the church either don't know what the Bible says about the church or they don't care and they don't trust that it's for their good. They've stopped trusting the head of the church. And that's why, beloved, dear church, I ask God to strengthen your faith in Christ. I pray that you will always find in Christ the strength to endure, to bear with one another in love. And yes, the last thing we'll look at is grace. The last thing he says is, verse 24, um, I'm sorry, verse 23, peace be to the brothers, love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is very important. Where does faith come from? Where does love come from? Where does our peace come from? Paul says it comes from God. So in other words, okay, think of the tree again, the fruits of peace and love, the trunk is faith, and the roots are grace, is grace. The roots is from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Peace and love springs from faith, but faith springs from grace. Right at the bottom of your salvation is not your choice, it's God's choice of you. It's God's grace. It was in grace that he has chosen you before the foundation of the world. It's that eternal choice of us that when you heard the gospel, you, the Holy Spirit opened your eyes and you believed in Jesus. It is all a gift of grace. That's why it says peace, love with faith from God, from God, from the Lord Jesus. That's where it comes from. It's from him. So you see, Grace is really the start of your salvation and it's the completion of your salvation. Our salvation from start to finish is all of God's grace. But that's not all. That, grace doesn't just start. Look at verse 24. Then he says, Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. That's not the first grace that has saved you. This is the grace that Paul prays will be with you as you exit this church building. May this grace go with you on Monday morning when you, and when you sleep on Friday night. May God's grace be with you. So here's the point, right? Our, our salvation from beginning to end is all of grace. God doesn't begin a work in you. Step back and sees how you're going to handle it. And depending on what you do, he says, okay, I'm done. Philippians 1.6, the good work which he began, that's grace, he will complete. Guess what? That's grace as well. <laughs> okay. So from beginning to the end, it's all of grace. You can trust him. You will not be a Christian tomorrow because of your amazing willpower. You will not be a Christian tomorrow because you had such an amazing quality of your faith. That's not at the bottom of your salvation. That keeps you saved. At the bottom is God's grace, God's faithfulness. The only way you can stop believing in Jesus is when God becomes unfaithful. That's the day you can go to hell if you are truly born again, if you are truly saved. But thanks be to God, that will never happen. 
He is more faithful than your sins. He's more faithful than your insecurities, your inconsistencies. He is there and he will keep you. Those whom he justified, who can complete that? I want. He also glorified. No dropouts. All, who, all whom he has justified, he also glorifies. Romans 8 verse 30. And we see that even at the very end of what Paul says, he says, those who, grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love what? What does it say? Now my translation says incorruptible. You can also translate it as immortal, undying. In other words, it's, he's making a point about what is true love for Jesus look like. It is incorruptible. It cannot be corrupted. It cannot be, it cannot die. That's the point. There's not even a future possibility that those who love our Lord Jesus will not love him anymore. That is the most basic proof that you are a Christian. So if you want to ask, how do I know if I'm a Christian? It's not if you've prayed a prayer when you were small or if you've done something in the past. That's not the ultimate evidence. It is, do you love Jesus now? Is your love for the Lord growing? Can you see the work of the Spirit that the sins you once loved, you now hate? And other way around as well, you love holiness. You long for his word. You love other Christians and other believers. Now, of course, there's ups and downs in our love. There's those cool seasons where we perhaps walk away from the Lord and we turn our backs maybe on him and on on his commandments. But the Lord is faithful. Like a good shepherd, he will come and fetch you. He will discipline you. He will break your legs if he needs to. And he will carry you like a sheep on his shoulder and bring you back. And he will lose not one of his sheep. And that, I don't know about you, but that encourages me. Because if it depended on me, I I was done a long time ago. But it doesn't. It's his work, his grace that keeps me and that, that will keep me in the future. Listen to this quote from Richard Phillips. He says, if you want to know him and want to grow in your love for him, You do not have to stir up romantic or sentimental feelings. The place to turn is God's word, where Christ's love for you is written in blood, where his promises are sealed by his spirit, where God's grace is as alive today as when Paul first wrote this glorious letter. For those of you who say, I don't don't think I do love the Lord Jesus like this, right? I, I don't think I have this relationship with him. I don't know him. I don't love him. Then the invitation is for you to come to him. You too can be saved from all of your sins, past, present, future. For he died for sinners that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So repent. Turn away from your sins. Turn away from your selfish dreams and ambitions. That's all about you. And turn to a king that invites you to a great, grand, eternal life with him. To glorify him. That's why you were created. Repent of your sins and trust in Jesus. Put your trust in him who died for sinners. That you might be saved. Amen. Let's pray. I want to give in a moment of just silent prayer, so just use this time now to reflect, to respond to the message, and to just pray in your heart to God. Um, He is listening. He is here with us. Let's pray.
Lord, we come to you and we know, Lord, we acknowledge our weakness and our, our sinfulness before you. Lord, I know many of us here come from very different experiences regarding your church, perhaps sometimes even false churches that did not reflect who you are. And but Lord, I pray that your love at this very moment would overwhelm all of those hurts and pains that you would draw them into a bigger life, a life lived for you, Lord, and that we would truly humble ourselves before you and repent of our sins and turn to Christ. Lord, thank you for this church, Lord, that you have planted here and are busy building. Thank you there are many of us here who are faithful, a beloved brother, beloved sister in Christ and are faithful ministers of your church. And I pray that many more would, would have that attitude of your grace. Thank you too, Lord, that our salvation from beginning to end is from you. And therefore, Lord, you get all the glory for our faith, for our love, for our peace for this church, Lord. And we want to give that to you, for you are the great author of salvation. Lord, we pray now as we go to the table that you would prepare our hearts as well to commit ourselves to you and to partake in solemn and serious joy. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.